I want to welcome everybody who is here with us in the room today, also those who are watching us via the stream and on TV. I want to give a special shout out to the international audience who's watching us overseas and uh, close to our heart as always is the country of Belize. We're glad that you guys are with us as well. Also want to give one more shout out to our Farmington community. They haven't been able to meet uh, since March when all of this took place because we didn't have a place for them to meet. And now we're going to be opening up our brand new Farmington facility October the 4th. So that's pretty stinking exciting right there. And friends, listen, it's because of all of our campus's generosity that we didn't stop the construction project, that we went ahead in faith believing that God would provide, and he did through all of you. And so we are very excited about what God is going to be doing on that particular campus and all the people whose lives are going to be changed. So October 4th, Farmington folks, mark that down. We are so excited uh, for you as well. We're in the middle of a series called Under the Surface. We're talking about those emotions, those things that happen under the surface, and how how to deal with those things a little bit better. And today we're going to be talking about temptation. There were three friends. They went out and they went on a fishing trip and they weren't catching anything. So one guy gets the bright idea. He says, let's share the worst sin that we've ever committed in our entire lives. Well, the other two guys weren't really feeling it, but the guy said, listen, I'll even go first. And they said, all right, if you want to go first, tell us what's the worst sin you've ever committed. He said, well, my worst sin is the sin of lust. And he said, I've cheated on my wife for years and she doesn't know it. And I just can't seem to control myself. Well, the other two guys were just, you know, shocked at what the guy said. They said, wow, you weren't kidding when you were talking about our worst sin. Second guy said, well, if you can reveal that, I, I guess I could re reveal my worst sin. I have the sin of greed. And uh, I've been embezzling from my company for several years and, and I just can't control myself. The third guy said, wow, I really appreciate you two guys sharing your heart. My, my worst sin is gossip. <laughs> and I can't control myself either, and I can't wait to get off this boat, you know? <laughs> Friends, if you were going to shipwreck your life, if you were going to mess your life up, how in the world would you do it? What temptation are you more likely to give into than any other? Let's go over to the big board. We'll talk about this for a second. The early church fathers had seven deadly sins. They said these were the seven deadliest sins that people face on, on an ongoing basis. There's pride and there's greed and there's envy and anger and gluttony, lust, and there's laziness. Now, this isn't an all-inclusive list of sins, is it? No, it's not an all-inclusive list. But out of those seven things... Which two things in your mind, just mentally, you don't need to tell someone, you don't need to tell someone else what theirs are either, okay, don't, don't do that. But out of that list, just mentally circle, what are the one or two things that you say, you know what, that's a weakness in my life, that's something that I need to keep my eye on because it will mess my life up. And I also want you to mentally think about, out of all those seven things, I want you to think about which one's not an issue for you. You say, oh, I'm not going to worry about that one. That's never been a problem for me. That wouldn't be a temptation no matter what came my way. So the one thing that you say I'm super strong in, and then two things that you would say, you know, you're somewhat weakened. Just kind of mentally circle that in your mind. Just to help you percolate that for a second, let, let me help you out. I'll share, I'll share mine with you. Let's start with the easier one. Which one is a strength for me? I don't think I'll ever be tempted with laziness. I am just not 
a lazy person. I'm a very driven individual. I don't like to sit around. When I have my two days off during the week, uh, it drives my wife, I think, a little bit crazy because about uh, midway through the first day being off, I'm looking for something to do. And she gets nervous because she knows when I start looking for something to do, that means I'm also looking for her to do something with me. You understand what I'm talking about? So laziness isn't one that I would say is an issue. Now, the two that I would say are my greatest weakness, well, those are none of your business, okay? I'm just messing around. I'll, 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 I'll be honest with you. One would be anger. Now, we have the picture of the guy with the knife in his hand. That's, a, that's an angry person there, I tell you what. That's not my issue, not that kind of anger. Not a murderous anger. I don't have that, okay? Uh, but I have a tendency to, to let it fly and to wound people. And I was really bad in my 20s. I had such a bad temper. And the Holy Spirit's gotten a hold of me in this area, and I've gotten a lot of traction. But that's the one that can still raise its ugly head from time to time. Uh, the second one for me is lust. Because I'm a man. Moving on. <laughs> which, which would it be? Which one or two would it be for you? Uh, maybe you would say that the issue for you maybe is pride. Pride's an interesting sin because it's something that we can see in other people, but we can't ever seem to see it in ourselves. Pride's a person who walks around thinking they're all that. They strut their stuff. They're the man. They're the man. They stepped out of heaven and walked on the land. They're the man. You see what I'm saying? They're a little bit better than everybody else, a little smarter than everybody else. They have, prideful people have a hard time saying that they were wrong that they made a mistake. They have a hard time saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? If you have a hard time saying those things, it could be that pride has got the best of you. Or, or maybe it's, uh, it's greed. Uh, maybe you have this idea that you have a little bit more than you are a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, living for the American dream and materialism and buying as much stuff as they possibly can buy and accumulate. A person who has a greed problem, they, they say the sentence uh, like this. It says, I have to have that to be happy. Have, have you ever said that? I just have to have that. I just, I'm, just, I'm, I, I, I just, I'm just not going to be happy until I have that. I have to have that house. I have to have that car. I have to have that gizmo. I have to have that gadget. I just have to have that. If greed is raising its ugly head, the Bible has a couple of verses for you. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Those of you with three-car garages and you can't put a car in your garage, it's time to quit. Do you understand what I'm saying? How about this one? This is pretty blunt. Proverbs 25, verse 16. If you find honey, eat just enough. <laughs> Too much of it and you will vomit. Now, that, that's blunt, isn't it? But that's the truth. Let me tell you what greed does to people. That it, it equates their value with the value of their bank account. So if you have a lot, then you are a lot. And if you have a little, then you, you don't feel very good about yourself. You, you're still a little. You, you understand what I'm saying? So maybe the issue for you is pride. You, you think you're better than everybody else. Or maybe it's greed. You just have to have things. And if you don't have those things, then you're not going to be happy until you get this, that, or the other. Maybe the issue for you is envy. Envy is a close cousin to greed, but envious people, they want things and then they're mad that other people have them. That, that's how it gets really even more twisted and more sick. Like, I really want that and I'm ticked off that you already have that. You, you see what I'm saying? People who have the, uh, uh, the sin of envy inside of them, they say, I wish a lot. Like, I wish that was me. You know, what about me? That's not fair. I, what, about, what about me? I wish I had their house. 
I wish I had their car. I wish I had their boat. I wish I had her husband. I wish I had his wife. I wish I had his hair. I wish I had hair, right? I mean, those are the things that we do. And then we're mad, we're upset, we're angry that somebody else has got that which we want to have. We feel like they shouldn't have it either. That's the evil sin of envy. Let me give you the next one, anger. This is the person who rips into other people. Like me, they have a short fuse and they do damage. And this is the kind of person where you walk into the room and you say, what kind of mood are they in? You know those kind of people? Hey, what kind, what kind of mood is so-and-so in today? Is it partly cloudy or is it sunny? What kind of day we got here going ahead, right? You ever been around somebody like that? And they leave a wake of bodies around them? Bear Bryant, uh, he was the coach at one point in time for the University of Alabama. And he didn't like profanity. Didn't like it on his team. Didn't like it on his practice field. Didn't like it in the games. And every year he would establish a swear jar for the team. And for every time a player would say a curse word, they'd have to put a quarter into the jar. And every assistant coach had to put a dollar in the jar. And Bear Bryant, every time he said a curse word, he had to put $5 in the jar. Well, one day they're having practice. And Bear Bryant is all the way at the top of the coaching tower, looking down at the field, checking out how they're running the different plays. And on this particular day, nothing is going right. And he's barking out things for them to do, and they're not doing any of the stuff. And so they just had a play that just absolutely blew up right before their eyes. And it just infuriated Bear Bryant that the team was acting the way that they were acting, you know, executing the plays in which they were. So he comes running down from the coach's tower, and he runs over to the team manager and hands him two crisp $100 bills. And he says, when that runs out, run me a tab. You know what I'm saying? Are you the kind of person that just... I mean, think about it for a second. How many times have you just crushed somebody with your words? I mean, just cut them to the quick. You just devastated them. How many... How many how many dead bodies do you have in your wake from the words that you said that damaged who they are as a person of great value to God because you let anger get the best of you? Uh, the next one is, is lust. Uh, one survey revealed that 97% of men have a problem with lust. Uh, the survey also revealed that 3% of men are liars. You understand? <laughs> you see, it's one thing to glance you say, oh, it's an attractive woman. It's a glance, right? Or that's a, that's a handsome young man. It's a glance. But it's creepy when it's a... <laughs> How you doing? When you begin to gawk, when you begin to stare, when your mind goes to places where you begin to undress the other person and you think about being with the other person and you... Uh, you take that person and you make them nothing more than an object of sexual appetite. You know, to get a sexual kick off the body of another individual. You've got those wandering eyes and you find yourself looking at images, you find yourself looking at stuff that you know doesn't edify Jesus and it's beginning to wreak havoc in your life, wreak havoc in your marriage. Did you know that the that ladies, that's the fastest growing trend towards pornography. It's outgrowing men right now. More women are tuning in to pornography on a, on a statistical basis than men. It's not right. Women are rising a lot more. So it's not just an, it's just not just a man issue, is it? So maybe maybe it's lust for you, maybe it's gluttony. 
You hear the word gluttony, and the first thing that you think about is you think about overeating. That's what everybody thinks. Well, that guy's just a glutton. He just overeats. But gluttony is anything you do to an extreme, anything you do to an excess. So if you could be gluttonous with your work. And so you're working so many hours, and so you become a workaholic. And so that's all you're spending all your time there, right? You can be an overdrinker. That's gluttonous. And so now you're an alcoholic because you can't control the alcohol. You just have to have another drink and another drink to get a buzz and to get a get the feeling, right, of getting away from reality. You, you can be gluttonous when it comes to shopping because you spend more than you make. And so you have these huge credit card bills. That's being gluttonous in that. Maybe, maybe that's it. You, you can be gluttonous in working out. Did you know that? You can work out too much. That doesn't seem to be a problem for anybody in this room. So uh, <laughs> I've been waiting all week to say that one for you. Aren't you glad you came to church so I could... Do that to you. It's so much fun, isn't it? I tell you what. How about laziness? You think laziness is just laying around, lazing, watching TV, binge watching, and that's a part of it. But laziness is the person who's given up trying. Tried before, it didn't work out, failed. I'm just not going to try my best anymore. I'm just going to kind of coast. I'm just going to kind of go through it. It's the sin of unrealized potential. If you're a cowboy football fan, you understand. <laughs> I'm talking about. It's too soon, isn't it, after the first week? I'm sorry for that. I guess the question that I'm asking you is, is what is your marshmallow? You say, what? What is my marshmallow? What are you talking about? Years ago, there was a study that was done uh, among kids. And what they did was they brought a, a child into a room, and they would put a marshmallow on the table. And they would say to the child, now listen, we know you're tempted to eat this marshmallow right now, but we want you to wait on eating the marshmallow. And if you'll wait till we return back in the room, we'll give you two marshmallows. So you can eat the marshmallow now if you want to, or you can wait and we'll give you two marshmallows. So we decided as a staff to do the same study and we brought some kids in, but we didn't use marshmallows for our diabolical experiment. We used cupcakes. Take a look. Okay, do you see that cupcake in front of you? Do you like cupcakes? Yeah, okay. So what you're gonna do is you can eat it now, okay? You can eat it or you can wait till I get back and I'll bring you another cupcake. So you can eat it now or you can wait and I can bring you another one. Okay, I'll be right back. Cool?
good. Okay, you deserve a second cupcake. So you get two cupcakes. Do you want to take a bite of that now? Yeah? yeah. Do it. Is it good? Good job. Mmm, is it good? Was it yummy? Yeah, it was really good. You didn't go back to your parents? Okay, come on. <laughs> that was brutal, wasn't it? <laughs> I love the little girl who smashed her head into the table. You could see the agony of what they were facing, right? So, so that's my question. What, what is your marshmallow? What is the thing that you're like, that's the thing that's going to get me out of those seven things? Or it could be something else. It could be gossip. It could be lying. It could be a myriad of different things. But when you say, this is the one area that I've got to keep my eyes on this. Friends, there's three steps to overcoming temptation. The first one is to admit what your weakness is. That's the first step to defeating temptation is to acknowledge that it exists, to name it and say, this is the area that I need to keep a close eye on. This is the area where I could really shipwreck my life and really make myself play the fool. Now, that's the first step to overcoming temptation. Let me give you the second one. The second step is we need to be aware of the thoughts about that temptation because every sin starts with a thought. Have you ever thought about that? Every sin starts with a thought. Every thought has an action many times that follows it. Every sin you've ever committed starts with a thought. Let, let, let me prove it to you right now, okay? You, you, when you have a thought, you have the opportunity to go towards every thought leads to a destination, all right? So let me prove it to you. You're driving down the road, and you drive by Krispy Kreme Donuts. Now, that's a good time right there to Krispy Kreme Donut. And it just so happens as you're driving by, the light flashes. It says, hot now. And you know what that means. That means it's a sign from God that you're supposed to get a Krispy Kreme glazed goodie donut, right? Now, you hadn't had that thought before, but now you saw that sign. You thought, you know, I could go for a Krispy Kreme donut that's hot now. And so you find yourself turning the vehicle into the parking lot, and you get in the drive-thru, and you think, I need to order myself a donut. But who orders one donut? Oh, no, friend. You decide that you're going to order a dozen of those hot now donuts. And so you pay the person. And even before you pull out, you're already eating one of the donuts. Now, has it ever occurred to you how in the world that happened? You, you see, you, you thought about the Krispy Kreme donut. You imagined, you imagined the Krispy Kreme donut. You desired the Krispy Kreme donut. And so next thing you know is you are eating the Krispy Kreme donut. That's the way it goes every single time. It always starts with a thought, and then you imagine it, and then you desire it, and then you just eat it. Does anybody want a Krispy Kreme donut? Anybody at all want a Krispy Kreme donut? Come on up. Come on up. I'll give you a Krispy Kreme donut. Come on up. Come on. Come on. I'm not kidding. I, I put the gloves on. It's clean. It's good. I, I, there's no COVID. Oh, man, you people are crazy. I tell you what. Now, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Come on up. Everybody who wants one, come on. Hang on. I'll help you. Now, here's my question. Eli. Eli wants a Krispy Kreme donut. Even the band has come out for a Krispy. Let, let me pass out my Krispy. I'll give them to you as long as I got them. All right. How's that sound? So here's the None of you even had the thought 
of getting a Krispy Kreme donut until I said, would you like a Krispy Kreme donut? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah, I want a Krispy Kreme donut. Are you kidding me right now? I will absolutely take. Look at all the young people that want the donut, you know? Enjoy that while you're young. When I eat these things, it's like boom chakalaka, you know? It's just a... I think I've got one more. Look at that. Perfect number. You're welcome. That was sin right there. Did you see that? That's how it works every single time. It starts with a thought. And then you imagine it. Oh. Then you desire it. Yummy, yummy. For the tummy. And there's one thing left to do. Just do it. That's what happened to Eve. Eve's in the Garden of Eden, standing next to the tree she shouldn't be standing next to, the one tree that God said to stay away from. She's looking at that fruit, and she's thinking about it, isn't she? And then she's imagining how good that fruit might be. Then she desires it. And before long, she's eating a piece of apple pie, right? Because that's the way sin works Every single time. It always begins with a thought, and your thoughts lead you to a destination. Now you say, Todd, how in the world am I going to stop thoughts from coming in my brain? You're not. That is an absolute impossibility. But you can stop that thought from staying in your brain. One of my favorite ancient Chinese proverbs, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. How long you focus on the wrong thing. Well, the longer you focus on it, the more likely you're going to go that direction. And you're going to end up down a road that you don't want to go, doing that which you don't want to do, and you're going to pay a price that you never wanted to pay. And it won't be worth it. So what should we do with these thoughts coming to our minds? And we say, I got this thought. What should I do about this thought? Well, you should take it captive. That's what the Bible teaches. You take that thought captive, and you make it obedient to Jesus. And this means you've got to really force yourself to say, I can't think about this. And so the Bible gives us a litmus test in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, as to the thoughts that we should be keeping in our brain to nest. And the other thoughts that don't meet this criteria, those are the thoughts we need to shoo away because if we continue to think those thoughts, we're going to end up doing things we shouldn't be doing. This is the litmus test, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. So does it meet that criteria? Is this a thought that Jesus would think? Is this something Jesus would want you to think about? Is this something that the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you would want you to, to think about constantly to where it gets you to a place that you don't want to be? So you take that thought and you make it captive. And it's not just to make it captive. You've got to remove that thought and you've got to replace that thought with something better. This is so important that you remove the thought and you replace it with something better. Let, let me explain this one to you. Let's say you have a child and your child is out in the front yard and it's actually in the street in the front of your house and it's, your child is playing in the street. And you're not excited about this particular child playing in the street because this is the one that you like. You know what I'm saying? Any, any parent with more than one kid, you're like, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. This kid, yeah, go play in the street. That's fine by me. Go play. But... Uh, there's some kids you're like, oh, no, I want to keep you for a while. Come on back in here, you know. So your child's out playing in the street. If you go out as a parent and say, don't play in the street, that's not going to work. 
Your child's going to fight with you. I want to play in the street. Why can't I play in the street? I want to play. Because all the thing about street, 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 street. You got to replace the thought with something better. So you don't just say, don't play in the street. You say, listen, I don't want you to play in the street. Why don't you play in the backyard? And on your way in, stop by the freezer and get an ice cream. Now, what's the kid thinking about? Yeah, he's thinking about ice cream. He's thinking about something better. And now all of a sudden, the street doesn't look so attractive to him anymore because there's something there's something better. That's what you have to do. You have to replace the bad thought that's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go, and you've got to replace it with a good thought that's going to lead you to a place that you want to be. You take the thought captive, you get rid of the old thought, you put in a brand new thought, and then you play this game. It's called the what-then game or the then-what game. This is my favorite game to play. Because I'll have thoughts that come in my mind, and I'll think, okay, now, if I act on that thought, if I do something about that thought, if I proceed with that thought, then what? What's the next thing that's going to happen? What's the consequence of doing that? Okay, so maybe your issue is lust. And you see someone, and you're kind of flirting with that person. Then what? Well, it probably won't be too long before you're doing more than just flirting. Then what? Probably won't be too long and you're in a full-blown affair. Then what? Well, then you're going to have incredible guilt. Then what? You're going to have to be hiding your sin. Then what? You're going to feel a separation between you and God. Then what? You're going to feel distant between you and your spouse. Then what? You're going to get caught. Then what? You've got to tell your spouse. Then what? You've got to sit down with your kids. Then what? You might lose your job. Then what? You won't be able to pay your bills. Then what? You'll end up living in a van down by the river. Okay? Play it. Play it out. I, I let my anger get the best of me. I let it rip. Then what? I wound my wife with my words. Then what? I break my kid's little cub spirit. Then what? I make a fool of myself. Then what? I show everyone that my faith in Jesus isn't as strong as they thought it was. Then what? Well, I show people that uh, the Spirit of God doesn't have control of me, but my emotions have control over me. Then what? Well, it'll probably take me weeks, maybe months to repair the damage of what I've done. And then you step back and you go, okay, is that, is that a price that I want to pay? When the Bible says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, maybe that's the better thought that I should have in this moment, that there's a right way to say the right thing at the right time, and there's a wrong way to say the right thing at the wrong time. And every man and woman in this room understands exactly what I'm talking about. Play it next time you have a tempting thought. Next time you want to go down the stupid road where it's going to ruin your life, just play the game, then what? And ask yourself the question, is that the price that I want to pay? So first thing is we, we, we acknowledge the weakness. We say, okay, if I could slip up, this would be the area I would slip up in. And then we say, okay, when I have a thought about that, I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to replace that thought with something better, and I'm going to play the game, then what? Okay. And then the third thing that we're going to do is this. We're going to take the exit that God provides, and we're going to run, Forrest, run. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes, No temptation, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand under it. Okay, two things I want you to get in this passage. Write them down. Number one is this. Every temptation you and I have faced has been faced by others. You see what it said? It said, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What does that mean? You're not alone in your struggle. Let me tell you what Satan tries to do and what our brains try to do to us. You ready for this? It tries to point us, paint us over into a corner of isolation. And it tries to make us believe that no one's ever faced this before, no one's ever dealt with this before, that nobody understands what you're going through. And so you think you're the only person that's facing this, and so you feel lost, you feel empty, you feel alone, you feel powerless, and it will just be a matter of time. You start feeling sorry for yourself and giving in to that which you know you don't want to give in to. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Just out of curiosity, by a raise of the hands, how many of us have struggled with one of those seven things we put on the board earlier? Anybody at all? Okay, that's everybody. And then those who didn't have it have a problem with lying. Okay, so that, that, (laughs) right? I mean, every single one of us, you're not alone. You're not alone. And so what, what do you need to do? You need to tell somebody when you're struggling. And I don't understand it, but this is one thing that we are so afraid to do. We won't tell our spouse, our best friends, what in the world's really going on inside of us. And so there's a distance there because we're afraid to be vulnerable and to share a weakness. It was uh, last week when I was memorizing this message and I, and I was laying in bed and I said, I'm going to do this thing. I just want you to know it's going to be these seven things, Christy. And she said, well, what, what are your two? And I said, anger and lust. She said, lust? I said, well, no, not, not as bad as it was when I was in my 20s. But yeah, it's, I'm still a guy. But I was fearful. I read that part of the message early because I was afraid of what her reaction might be. We have to be more vulnerable with each other. We have to share the truth with each other. And sharing the truth, we find strength. And, and then when you have the courage to share what's going on with you and what you're struggling with, then the other person can then you know, share back and say, well, these are the things. That, and then you can hold each other accountable. And you can look out for each other. And you can encourage each other and pray for each other and be there for each other in those moments of weakness so you have someone to talk to. So they can talk some sense to you so you don't end up a place that you don't want to be. So every temptation that sees you is common to man, all right? Everyone's facing these things. We need to talk about them. And I'm hoping in your small groups this next week that you'll share some real gut-wrenching stuff in there and that you'll find some strength and that the women will go over into a women's Zoom and the men will go over to a men's Zoom and you'll really talk about the issues that you're facing so you don't end up in a place you don't want to be. Playing that stupid then what game. Let me give you the second one. You and I have never been tempted by something that we don't have the power to resist. We just read it, right? He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You and I will never be tempted by something that we don't have the power to resist. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery. Potiphar buys him, brings him home. We find out in the scriptures that Joseph is a well-built and handsome man. And he's got a wife. And the wife thinks Joseph's quite attractive and she's not very subtle with what she wants. She says, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. 
Day after day after day, she begs him. He says, oh, no. Oh, no, I can't do it. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I can't do this to my master. No, 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 no. One day she sets him up. He comes into the house. All the other servants have been kicked to the curb. It's just him and her. She grabs a hold of his cloak, says, come to bed with me. He refuses, does a spin move. She rips off his robe. He runs away. First streaker in the Bible. Right after Adam and Eve, okay? I've had people say to me, I couldn't do it. That would be too great a temptation for me. I, I, I would never be able to stop. You so sure about that? Let, let's say that you're a younger person and you're dating somebody. And a girlfriend says, come on over. My parents are going out to eat tonight. We'll have the house to ourselves. It's all right. So you come over and the parents leave and you're watching TV and now you're not watching TV. And it gets pretty handsy and gets pretty hot, gets pretty heated. And before you know it, things are happening really fast. And both of you are thinking, there's no stopping us now. But then all of a sudden, right before you feel like there's no stopping you, you hear the garage door go up. And you hear the dad's voice of the daughter say to his wife, Oh, I'm so sorry you have such a bad headache. Let me get the Tylenol. You go inside and lay down. Let me ask the guys a question. Are you going to stop? Because if you don't, he's going to kill you when he comes in. Yeah, you're going to stop. You're going to run, Forrest, run. That's what you're going to do. See, I, I, I honestly believe, and, and I wish this was true of my life every moment of it, but I honestly believe the Holy Spirit can speak louder than the dad's voice. That when you're walking with God and you find yourself in that tempting situation, that God's Holy Spirit can scream at you. And it would cause you to run a different direction. Because if you don't, it will ruin the entire trajectory of your life. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for me. This is serious stuff, isn't it? The Bible says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's talking about Satan. The Bible's interesting to me because whenever he talks about Satan, he talks about him being a roaring lion. That's the king of the jungle, right? And then when the Bible talks about you and me, it says that we're like lambs. We're little sheep. We're Q-tips, you know? That's all we are. You ever seen a lion take on a lamb? Not a fair fight, is it? In fact, 10 times out of 10, that lion's going to beat that lamb. Why are there so many lambs walking around so wounded and beat up and shredded? Because they tangled with the lion. And they've got the scars to prove it. And every one of us in this room and watching me at home, you've got the scars to prove it. You're a lamb. Satan's a lion. He's seeking to devour you. Jesus said he wants to steal, kill, and destroy every aspect of your life. That's not good, friends. But the Bible also says that Jesus is our good shepherd. And so the smart lamb, when it sees the lion, does what? It runs to the good shepherd. Because the good shepherd can take on the lion. In fact, he already has. The lion has been defeated by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He's got scars too. Cleansing scars that will wash away your sin. So don't mess with this stuff. Take it seriously. Know what your weakness is. 
capture those thoughts, play those games in your mind so you think it through before you do something stupid, and run, Forrest, run with everything you've got. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, man, I wish somebody would have told me this stuff a long time ago. It would have saved me a whole bunch of regrets. Lord, I pray that we'd be wise from this moment forward. That we would run to you. I don't know what people are facing. I I don't know what they're messing with. I don't know what they're toying with in their brains. We have a way of justifying and rationalizing what we do. And then we end up in a place we never should have been, doing that which we never should have done, paying a cost that we desperately don't want to pay. Give us wisdom, God, to run. Give us strength to look for the way out. Help us to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to you. I pray for every person who's listening to me right now who's struggling. Lord, I pray that they would call us, that they would text us, that we could help them in some way so that they wouldn't have regrets from this day forward. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're struggling today and you're in the room, we would like to talk to you. And we talked about strength when you share it with somebody else. The First Steps room is right around the corner. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're watching us at home or you don't feel comfortable to go to that room, you just pull out your phone and you can call us. You can call us at 505-922-9200 or you can text us. And we'll sit down. And every conversation that we have with you, it's anonymous, it's confidential. We're not going to be running out. We don't have the sin of gossip, okay? We're not going to say, I can't control myself and I can't wait to get off this boat. No, we'll come alongside you. We'll give you strength. We'll give you scriptures. We'll give you help. We'll get you accountability. We'll get you in a small group. Every one of us has regrets. Do we have to keep having more and more and more? The answer is absolutely not. We don't need to live our lives that way. So go by the First Steps room or call us, 505-922-9200, or send us a text right now. We're going to end our service singing a song, and I want you to stand with me, and I want you to sing and listen to the words as you sing them. Let's stand together. Let's sing this song.